0: You have the words of eternal life. Help us now to hear and obey what you say to us today. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Scripture reading today begins with the book of Isaiah, chapter 51, verses 1 through 6. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. You who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever." and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed by their revealings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle reading today is from Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, Its service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who absorbs in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord.
1: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Over the past few weeks, there's been much debate in our country about what history is and what it isn't, how it should be remembered and how it shouldn't, how differently different groups of people tell the story of our history, and how certain ways of telling or memorializing our history might hurt others, even if we don't mean any harm. In Feasting on the Word, Carlos Cardoza Orlandi shares the following story. During comprehensive exams in the mid-1990s, historians in my graduate school would ask degree candidates for an assessment of the last 500 years in history, a very Protestant period of time, they received two distinctive answers to their inquiry. Those whose work focused on Christian history and the history of Christian thought emphasized discoveries, achievements, and positive turning points in the advancement of the human condition. Those whose work focused on the history of the ecumenical and missionary movements of Christianity The history of Christianity's encounters with other religions and the history of Christianity in the third world emphasized a whole different list. Their answers included colonialism, imperialism, complexities of economic development, wars, and dramatic changes in geopolitics. Peers who shared mentors, readings, and courses gave two very different interpretations of the last 500 years in human history. Both interpretations are accurate. There is little doubt that our biographies shape our historical understandings and our current daily life practices, whether or not we are aware where they come from. Progress and wars, economic development and oppression, scientific achievements and destructive weapons, new nations and new structures of colonialism, new cultural and linguistic sciences, and new forms of cultural superiority have complex interplay in the historical interpretation of the last 500 years of global history. The past is much more than just a discovery of mistakes not to be repeated or a source of information for a better future. It is also much more than simply the history of colonialism or of low conflict warfare as a result of the Cold War. So what is the past? Is there a purpose for history? We see this very tension in an interesting way in our passage from Isaiah today. We are all hewn, big fancy word for cut, from the same quarry. We're all made of the same sort of stone. We are all called to look at our history, our ancestors, our past. But we all see that past differently because we all experienced it in different ways. Each of us grew up in a slightly different time and place. Even if we found the two people in this room who have more in common with one another than any other pair in this room, they would still have different life experiences, passions, different focus, different gifts. This is why the church is one of the places that this push and this pull of sharing history can be the most difficult and the most contentious, but out of which can come the most blessing and abundance and community. We know that our history is important. We can feel it in our souls and we can read it in scripture. But we all have a slightly different place in history, each and every one of us. And this is where Paul comes in, in our passage in Romans today. Poor Paul is ministering to a church that is trying to manage how to bring together Jewish and Gentile Christians. And from where we stand in history today, we tend to miss what a truly huge task that was. It got ugly. Paul had a huge job and at least half of the stuff that he writes to these churches, these things that we still have now in letters, in scripture, are about how to try and come together in spite of our differences. This church that Paul was writing to in Rome was not taking their theology, their religion, and their beliefs and letting it change the way they lived their lives. They were living their lives the way they wanted to. The whole point, however, of looking to our ancestors is for examples of theology put into action. We can sit around here talking about right and wrong and what God means by this or that until we're blue in the face, but if it doesn't change a thing about us, it's meaningless. Theology and religion do not matter at all if we are not constantly growing and changing as a result. Paul also makes it clear here that we are not just talking about head knowledge and we're not just talking about spiritual enlightenment and we're not just talking about the way we behave. All of these things need to make room to grow and change or we've missed the mark. I love the way that Rochelle Stackhouse puts it in her commentary on this passage. Verse three may indicate that one sacrifice involved in all of this comes when we admit to ourselves and then live out in our lives the reality that the world does not revolve around us as individuals. It's not about you, Paul seems to be saying. Some of us are happy to continue expanding our knowledge without letting our actions change at all. Some of us are happy to focus on what we and others should and shouldn't be doing, but we ignore spiritual connection with God. Others of us are all spiritual connection with no real concrete knowledge or learning. The sacrifice here is to worry about all those aspects of worship we don't inherently want to bother with and rely on those around us with other gifts and talents to help us along our journey. Stackhouse goes on to say that while there are certainly church members who may think too highly of themselves, There are also those with obvious gifts or skills who may not think highly enough of themselves, assuming they are not good enough to contribute. Paul's body metaphor challenges that group of people to consider that everyone, every member of the body of Christ in the church, has a gift to contribute to the functioning of that body. This implies that everyone's gifts are not only present, but needed for the living body of Christ to function in the world as it seeks to discern and live out the will of God. In this case, the transformation of the mind back in verse 2 may mean that someone ceases to deny her or his gifts and steps out in faith, taking a risk to serve. One of the things that Paul discovered is important at times like those, which are really times like these still, is that the church coming together to confess what it is that we are all about. Paul comes to the church in Rome and says, we are about unity and about diversity of gifts and about honoring those gifts, all of them, so that God might be glorified and the gospel proclaimed. When the Church couldn't agree on what God being three-in-one meant, the Apostles' Creed was written as a statement of faith of the Church. When there was contention in the Church about what it meant for Christ to be both human and divine, the Nicene Creed was born. The Declaration of Barman was developed in response to Adolf Hitler's control in Germany in the 1930s. The Confession of 1967 was written as a response to racism in the U.S. during the Civil Rights Movement. And the Belhar Confession, the newest confession added to our Book of Confessions, the one we will recite from later today, was born out of South African apartheid. When we come to these times in which there are clashes in society, our call is to gather together to declare what we know is true to care deeply for our own transformation as individuals and as a community, and to put our theology to work for the betterment of humanity. Mind, spirit, and body are all involved in this. And sometimes, in fact, I would argue usually, this is uncomfortable. There was a news anchor recently who broke down in tears on a national broadcast because she was so uncomfortable being forced to talk about racism in our country. And she got lambasted by quite a few folks for it, which I think is pretty unfair, regardless of if I agree with her viewpoint or not. Because realizing that we are uncomfortable, realizing that we have to talk about things that are uncomfortable, and processing that discomfort is often the first step toward growth and healing. I would love to have actual video footage of what the room was like when our fathers in the faith were debating the language of the apostles' creed. I cannot imagine that was a calm domestic scene. There is an old story, which to be fair is not necessarily historically accurate, but it's a great story to tell. There is a story that St. Nicholas, yes, that St. Nicholas, got so wound up debating against the heretical Arius at the Council of Nicaea, from which the Nicene Creed was born, that he punched Arius, knocking him out. Most recently in our tradition, there were some very uncomfortable and heated debates in our denomination when it was being decided if the Belhar Confession should be added to our Book of Confessions. Transformation of our minds and even declaration of our faith is not an easy process, but it is so worth it. So what does it look like to be a people of confession and of transformation and of spiritual depth and of just action in a time when different perspectives on the world and history are clashing in real intimidating, uncomfortable, and sometimes violent ways? How do we reflect on those who went before us in ways that can help us find our way today? We remember the confessions of the church. We reflect back on these creeds and confessions, both those in Scripture, like the one that Paul makes in Romans 12, and those that the church has debated and wrestled with since, that we find in our book of confessions. This is a way of looking back on how our ancestors dealt with conflict and difficult times. We go deeper into scripture. Now more than ever, it is important for us to know this book that we call holy. This is a big, confusing book which is exactly why we're starting from the ground up together this fall. And yes, that is absolutely another shameless plug for the Bible study that is starting up in a couple of weeks. Amen. <laughs> we make worship and we make daily Christian practice a priority in our lives because we cannot be united if we aren't spending time together worshiping, reading scripture, confessing our sins, reciting the creeds, praying, and participating in the sacraments. We simply cannot. Fair-weather church-going creates skewed priorities and divided communities. If we want to see more people growing interested in what we have to say here at church, we have to show them it's worth being dedicated to. We put forth our time, our energy, and our physical resources even when we don't want to. Making our bodies a spiritual sacrifice means realizing that the physical world, including our energy and our possessions and our time, belong to God. We have no right to hold back anything that is already God's. And finally, we encourage the gifts and talents that we see in one another, as well as using our own to the fullest. There are certainly people in the world, Christians included, who need to be reminded that they are not as singularly wonderful as they think they are. But there are also many in our midst who downplay their gifts or think they haven't got any. It's our job as a community to encourage those around us and to remind them that we aren't all teachers or organizers, we aren't all prophets, but we are all vital and we are all gifted We are all needed in the community and in the history of the church. Spiritual sacrifice, as Paul describes it in Romans, is all of these things. It is committing with body, mind, and spirit to our community, even when it's hard or contentious or uncomfortable. It means looking back at the ways our forebearers sacrificed by creating these beautiful works of theology that we call confessions and creeds. At the rich history of scriptural study and interpretation that we have, we have thousands of years of documentation of people reading and reflecting on our scriptures. It means connecting to our spiritual mothers and fathers in worship and in sacram- sacrament, and that great cloud of witnesses, modeling our lives after the great saints of the past by committing our whole lives without holding back, just as they did. And by seeing each person around us as a living, breathing part of God's wild and wonderful work in the world around us. Amen.